You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is John Mavis, and it's a delight to be here with you. I know I'm a, a new face, uh, but I'm originally from Springfield and currently uh, am a Navy chaplain, but also teach at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And um, so it's great. Uh, Kaylin is a, a good friend of mine, an old friend from, from the Navy, and um, been partners in Christ uh, for a while now. So it's a joy to be here with him and uh, his new parish and to meet you all as well. Um, it's, it's always good to be back in Springfield for me. Um, and it's my hometown. I still call it my hometown in the Navy. Sometimes we, we lose track of where we really belong. Um, but Springfield has always been where my wife and I call our hometown. And as we, we come here each time, we're always intrigued to see the things that are the same, but also things that are different. Um, it's been 20 years or so since I've actually lived here day in and day out. And so it's wonderful to see the way that God's working in this community. New churches that have been planted. Um, new works that are being done. There's also new stores. Stores have closed. Stores have uh, opened. New restaurants. Churches changed their names or, or, or maybe closed their doors. Um, and when we think about our own lives, um, it's always good to have a place where we feel like there's a sense of steadiness or stableness, that you feel like things aren't going to constantly be changing, that there's a rootedness to it. And yet, when many of us look at our lives, maybe our city or, or our country or even, even farther, our world around us, we feel like there's so many things that are shakable, constantly moving, wondering what it's going to be like next. Relationships can be broken Institutions that maybe we depended on for years and thought would never be there fail or they fall out of favor. Our financial stability or our jobs can be uh, in question. They can freeze up or falter. We don't look at our own spiritual lives. Sometimes we feel like our souls or maybe the spiritual communities that we're a part of might wax or wane at times. And in all of this, we often are looking for and realizing in our own lives there's a deep sense of anxiety because of that. Maybe a sense of wondering what is really stable or lasting in our world. I want us to open our Bibles today to our epistle reading in Hebrews chapter 13. It's also in your worship guide, um, if you want to follow along there, or if you brought your Bibles, to turn to Hebrews 13. When we live in unshakable uh, times, and we're looking for something that's unshakable, it's important that we see how, it, how this can impact our relationships with God, our relationships with others. We may wonder, what can I trust? What can I depend on? What is going to be here that was here yesterday? What can I believe that's going to be still with me today and into the next generation? Where do I go? What do I look to? And so I want us to, to hone in on our passage from Hebrews chapter 13 and see what the writer of Hebrews has for us to really ground us, to root us, in what sometimes can feel like very shaky lives. So let me open us in a word of prayer, and then we will um, look at our passage specifically. Father, we thank you for this morning as we gather as your people. As we search our own souls and we look outside of us to the city around us, our own communities or neighborhoods, our own families at times, we recognize our need for the security that's found in Christ. And so, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, would you equip us, would you nourish us through your word and by your Holy Spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So our epistle today from Hebrews 13 is really the beginning of the end of this letter. Uh, It ends with some very practical things about how to apply this very intense, very deep letter that has been written to the early Christian community. It's been written to encourage young Christians to, to persevere during times of great stress and persecution, to help them understand that as they look around at their lives and they look around even at Scripture, that Jesus stands out as superior to anything else that they could give their lives to. He's superior. He's lasting. He's the fulfillment of all of God's revelation throughout time and space. And that they can commit their lives to Jesus and know that he is a trustworthy place to find their hope, their salvation, and their future. He's the Son of God, the writer tells us, that fully shows us what God is like. And that he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses as our high priest who has gone through the struggles that we face, yet without sin. This community needed to know that they could persevere because Jesus was the founder and perfecter of their faith. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand that if that's true for them, if they're his disciples and that they're rooted and connected to them, that they're a part of something that can't be shaken. If you have your Bibles and you notice the verses just before our reading um, in chapter 12, verses 28 through 29, it's important to see these verses as we look at our section today. The writer says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In our reading today, we're reminded also that there's some important truths to help us see what this unshakable kingdom is like lived out in real life. The writer reminds us of a promise that God gave to Joshua that said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in verse 6, the writer reminds us in our reading today of the confidence that the psalmist had who said, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then our final verse in verse 8 that was read today, we're reminded of the unshakable nature of this kingdom that we are called to be a part of when the writer says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's because of this confident connection to Jesus and his unshakable kingdom that the writer then calls Christians in our portion to live lives of worship and of grateful sacrifice as an expression of being a part of this kingdom that isn't shaken. Because of their unshakable king, Christians are encouraged to be committed in a holistic way in all of their lives to worship God. And as a church and as a city and as our, our families and our neighborhoods, we might be wondering, God, what, are you, what do you want me to be like? What am I to be marked out as when I live in a world that seems to be constantly moving and shaking? As we look at this passage, I think there's a few areas where I'd like us to hone in and say, God, would you help my life be oriented towards this way of living that's unshakable because of its connection to an unshakable king? The first thing that we see there in verse 1 is that because we have Jesus as our unshakable king and we belong to his kingdom, we can live lives of worship by loving those who are on the inside. Let me explain that. In verse 1, we're called to stay or remain abiding in the word is uh, Philadelphia, the word where we we know of uh, the city of Philadelphia, brotherly love. That's the word in the original. It's this brotherly and sisterly kindness and charity toward one another. When our communities and relationships, though, are filled with fear or frustrations, 
It's easy, though, to allow those uncertainties to create friction, even between brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the writer tells us to continue in this love of our brothers and sisters. Not to just do it once, but it's this ongoing reality. Instead of letting small little disagreements or, or personality differences or, or past failures be a wrecking ball to the family of God, this passage calls us to continue on in our connectedness to one another. One way that we cultivate this, uh, my wife has been reading through, uh, rereading through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. I don't know if you've read that before, but a wonderful book. And in it, he tells us one practical way that we love our brothers and sisters. He says, the first service that we owe to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Listening to them. Just as, the lo- just as um, love to God begins with listening to his word, So the beginning of love for our Christian brothers and sisters is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. So it is his work that we do for our brothers and sisters when we learn to listen to them. The one who can no longer listen to his brother or sister will soon be no longer listening to God either. This continuing in the love of our brothers and sisters, this Philadelphia is rooted in this listening to one another, continuing to to speak and communicate and listen to our needs. In verse 4, though, in our passage, we're given a specific way, a specific relationship that's very tangible that we love on the inside. The writer there tells us and affirms that we are to, to cherish, to celebrate, to honor the precious and rare gift of Christian marriage between a husband and a wife. And the writer tells us that this is to be held in high honor above every, or among everyone. Seeing marriage as beautiful and precious and joyful can sometimes be a rarity in our society. It's one of the most countercultural and revolutionary things we can do today is to celebrate the goodness of Christian marriage. Because of the beauty and the precious nature of the, the marriage covenant, we are called not to defile or stain or pollute it, with any other form of sexual involvement or infidelity. Because we live with an unshakable king, the Lord's grace empowers us to keep on loving even in this most basic and most essential relationship, holistically worshiping him by upholding our marriage vows, by cherishing our spouses, by celebrating God's design and purpose for marriage, by praying and supporting one another in our marriages and by appreciating and equally affirming those who God has called to singleness and a purity of life. These are all marks of of a Christian community who says, God, we are unshakable in Christ, and therefore it frees us up to love one another on the inside in a deep and ongoing way, even when a world around us can be very scary or unstable. But let's look at the second thing he says there. When Jesus is our unshakable king, we're able to also love those who are on the outside, In verse 2, the writer calls Christians to go beyond loving just those who are in the in-group, but also to experience a love towards the outsider. The word hospitality there is literally philozenos, which means love for the stranger. We're told first to Philadelphia, love those in our family, but now to love the stranger. It's this sense of deep hospitality. In our world, sometimes you might have heard this new term, well, it's not really new, but it's one that's maybe being used again, xenophobia, where we're afraid of those who are strangers. This passage tells us to do the exact opposite, 
to love the stranger, to love the one that's different, that's from a different place, that's from a different context. The writer paints a beautiful picture of someone who has graciously welcomed a stranger only to find out that they may have even invited or welcomed an angel or messenger of God. It happened for Abraham. And Jesus tells us that when we reach out to the least of these, those who are in need of a home, those who are needing clothing or food, that we have done it unto him. This is the Christian ethos of saying, we as a community are lovers of the stranger. It's easy, though, for us as individuals, when we feel unstable in our own hearts, to maybe be anxious, fearful about getting too close to the stranger. Those that might be different, we might wonder what they might do to us or what brokenness they might bring towards us. So Christians discerningly and prayerfully ask God, God, how do you want me to be available to welcome the stranger, the ones that are different and hard sometimes to love? This is the greatest mark of Christians from the very beginning of why early Christians started hospital, hospitals and hostels as a sign of hospitality towards the stranger. So if we're ever wondering what should we be, should be championing as Christians in the world, it is one of our hallmarks as a lover of the stranger. And so we might be involved with things like loving children in the foster care system, loving the elderly in our neighborhoods that are estranged or separated from their families. We might be on the front lines of breaking down biases or prejudice among different ethnicity groups. As Christians, we're on the move to say, I want to know how to love the stranger. It's a mark of what it means to be an unshakable people serving an unshakable king. But let's look at the next one he says. He says, we also are called, in verse 3, to love, we've loved the insider, the outsider, but also a way of saying it is those who are on the downside, those who are underneath the foot of oppression. Christians are, are called to, to remember those who are persecuted, imprisoned, and mistreated. The early church was filled with stories of, of persecution, of trauma, and of imprisonment, and beating. And we're challenged in verse 3 to not forget those who are in those places, especially because of their faith in Jesus. The command is don't forget, keep on remembering them, keep bringing them to mind, keep praying for them. We're called to think about them, to, to, to really wonder, what is it like? What would it be for me to be in that very context, he says, in our own bodies to physically experience what they're experiencing and, be, and out of that to pray and pursue and to advocate for them. As a church, we can still be engaged with the needs of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria or Sudan or China who are persecuted for their faith. We can take responsibility for those who are marginalized or abused even in our own communities. As an act of worship, we're challenged not to get so fixated on our fears that we're not able to, to ask God, God, how, how are my brothers and sisters, how are the downtrodden, how are they experiencing life, and what can I do to, to give voice to their needs? Because of our lives are rooted in this unshakable Savior, we can have courage to stand up, to speak truth, to speak hope to even those who are on the downside of life. Verse 5 through 6 tells us, though, that sometimes there might be something that gets in the way for us to do that freely. We're reminded that we are to freely love those in need by reconsidering our love for our own goods, our own resources. One of the areas that we can be very allured to find stability is our material comfort and our financial security. And many of us know what it means to, to feel that, that wonder of what our, our status, our stability financially will be. 
Our contemporary institutions can one day promise great financial security and the next lose it all. But we as the family of God are called in that moment to to love the stranger, to love our community by not getting so fixated on our financial security, but being content with how God has, has provided for our needs. We're called not to get crippled by our financial fears, but to holistically worship the Lord. We're called to to be satisfied in the sufficiency of God and to then let that grow into a heart of generosity, something this church I know and I've heard does so well. We have an unshakable king who who empowers us to love and to love freely those who are on the downside of life. And he frees us up to see our resources as a stewardship and a service, not trying to scamper around for our own uh, security, but to find our hope and our life in him. The final thing, though, we see in this passage is we're called to, one, we said, the insider, the outsider, those that are on the downside, but also look in verse 7, he says, you could say, those are on the upside of things. We're called as our unshakable king to follow him, to love those who are even our, our leaders. Our final mark of, in a hostile world around us that's always moving, unshakable, we have, there can be a great distrust for leaders, not just in the church, but definitely outside the church as well. But a Christian community, we're told here, is marked by a different way of life. One that says those who lead us through their teaching and modeling of the word of God, we are to pray for, to encourage, to love. It is often in the early church, it was these leaders who were marked out for persecution and for imprisonment. And so this writer says, remember your leaders, because maybe many of their leaders were in prison that very day. This command to remember our leaders might have also been for those who, leaders who were martyred already. And they, they would say, and, and maybe you have had those who have been in your life as mentors or coaches, that when you, when you face that very difficult moment in your life and you're under pressure and you say, I remember the, them and I remember what they would have done in a situation like this. And so he says, remember them. Remember their role, their influence on you and how they were faithful to the Lord even when it was a challenge. Many of us have those faithful people in our lives. So when things get shaky, one of the greatest things we can do is to remember how an unshakable king worked in their lives. When our community and culture is filled with anxiety about who to trust in leadership, our passage today calls us to say we can find our security not in the perfection of humans, but in our king and how he uses broken people as instruments to teach and model his word. Even today, Christian leaders are on the front line of spiritual attacks from the evil one and and how easy it is for them to get ambushed in a moment of weakness and stress and insecurity or even isolation. So today, as a community, we we can battle in prayer for our leaders, our spiritual leaders. We can befriend them, fellowship with them, encourage them, and listen to them as fellow brothers in Christ. When our Christian community humbly walks under the lordship of Jesus, It frees us up, not to be an anxious people, but to be an actively engaged people. We live in the midst of a period where maybe our institutions, our ideas, or even our industries may be very shakable. But we are here today as God's people who have an unshakable Savior. If you're here today and you don't know the Savior personally, you, you, you have a life and you're looking and you're saying, I see all these areas in my life that are broken and in need of healing. I would encourage you today, before you leave, to speak with Kaylin or myself um, and to say, I, I need some prayer and knowing what it means to connect to this type of Savior. For all of us, our world needs a church, a community, just like this one, 
who is established and rooted and grounded in an unshakable kingdom. Someone who is proven and faithful in the past, who's present with us now, and who holds the future in his hands. We can be a light for Jesus, even in this community, even in our nation, as we holistically worship him. In these lives that say, I'm in love with the insider, but also the outsider, those who are downtrodden, and even with those on the upside. Let us ask for God's strength and mercy in this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us and how you remind us that you are, have given us a Savior, a King, who is faithful and true, who is the same yesterday, who is with us today, and who holds our eternity in his hands. We thank you that we can walk with him and that out of the overflow of that confidence, our lives can care and love in so many ways. So use us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.